The following resource is by CBC Mokopani. For more resources like this, check out our website at www.christbaptistmokopani.com. We're in 1 John um, chapter 3, that is. And we were introduced to, to chapter 3 last week. And we'll continue throughout with a theme this morning titled The Assurance of Deliverance. The Assurance of Deliverance. Now last week when we came together, our focus truly was on the assurance of hope. And, I, and I, my prayer was, and it is, that those words are still resonating with you. The assurance of an eternal hope. An assurance that we as believers of the Lord Jesus Christ share. It's an assurance that comforts us that we abide in the righteousness of God. But one thing that we couldn't conclude with last week and we'll do this morning is that John wasn't done with this idea. You see, John continues the idea of practicing righteousness as he's pointing us to the assurance of deliverance. Amen? And ultimately, we want to be delivered, right? Paul wanted to be delivered of, from his body of death. Perhaps we want to be delivered from addictions or whatever it might be. Yet, John this morning comforts us that there is a deliverance from sin. A deliverance from the works of Satan. As well as a deliverance into something new. Right? And that's the main idea, that Jesus Christ came to renew and to redeem sinners by paying the penalty of sin and overcoming the evil one. Jesus did that, right? And now in Christ, the Christian does not, or let me say cannot, habitually and persistently sin. I'm not saying you won't sin, because we will sin. We'll sin sometimes. Uh, we'll willfully sin. But John says that we cannot sin habitually, persistently, and relentlessly. That life has changed. Christ has delivered us from such a life. And so last week, John informs us that we have been born of God and we are now His children. That's verse 29, right? But He also taught us that the practice of righteousness provides the evidence that we are children of God. Are you with me? The practice, I'm going to say it again, the practice of righteousness provides evidence that one is a child of God. The practice of righteousness does not make you righteous. It's an evidence that you belong to Him who is righteous. And so this morning, as we will read in a moment, John shows us how being a child of God is incompatible with sin. We cannot walk hand in hand with sin and hand in hand with Christ. 
John says it's impossible. So not only did John last week challenge us to a life of righteousness, but this week he does the same. Just interesting, look at your Bibles. The focus last week was on the second coming of Christ. Amen? This week, John is using the basis of Christ's first coming to give us this assurance. To sum it up, John Stott, the English author and commentator, said, If Christ appeared first both to take away our sins and to destroy the works of the devil, and if when he appears a second time we shall see him, and in consequence we shall be like him, how can we possibly go on living in sin? To do so would be to deny the purpose of both his appearings. Listen, what he's saying is, if we are choosing to remain in sin, to relentlessly pursue sin, you are not only denying that Christ will come again, you are denying that He came in the first place. That's pretty heavy, right? So this morning, we'll look at three truths of assurance that comforts us of God's work or Christ's work in deliverance. Let's read together from 1 John 3, verse 4 onwards. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that He appeared in order to take away sins, and in Him there is no sin. Now, one who abides in Him keeps on, or no one who abides in Him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen Him or known Him. I love this. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as He is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. By this it is evident, who are the children of God, and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Lord Jesus, as we now deal with this word, I pray for your grace upon our lives and for your work in our hearts and our minds. Amen. Friends, we'll get into it with the first truth, and that is, Deliverance from sin. Deliverance from sin. John says that Christ did what? He came to take away sin. Amen? And that's a great comfort. If, if, if that's not enough for you to say, let's stop right there. Let's meditate on that. Then I want to question your motives. Because that is enough. Christ came to take our sin. 
And boy, did he do that. Did he suffer for that? You see, sin is the great enemy. It's the problem of humanity. Now, who can rescue us from sin? Who can redeem us from sin? Only Christ. The grip of sin remains unless Christ saves us. My dear friends, John says that sin is lawlessness. Do you know what lawlessness is? It's rebellion. It, it is to reject God's rightful rule as Lord. And not just as Lord, but as Lord of your life. When we choose to sin, we are choosing to believe that God isn't sovereign. He's not ruling me. We could say that sin is nothing less than personal treason against the sovereign of the universe. It's treason. Do you know what is the penalty for treason? Execution. Hence Paul says the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. It's not a one-time offense. It's, it's a... It's like it's a, a habitual nature that is settled in your heart that makes you rebel against God. That, that's really... Let me say that's how we define the, the flesh. Say, but I'm in the flesh right now. Yeah, in the flesh... It is a habitual nature in your heart to rebel against God. That's why Paul says, the things that I need to do, I don't do them. And the things that I'm doing, I don't want to do them. That's our natural state. That's the natural condi condition. And that's why John says, listen up, sin is lawlessness. It is rebellion. We spoke about it on Friday. We want to classify sin and say that there are major sins and, and, and subtle sins. That there are seven deadly sins. The, the rest are not so deadly. Sin, as we said on Friday, is malignant. You don't know what that means? Go catch up. But sin is malignant. It will kill you. John Owen said, be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. Now, John goes on to say that sin is lawlessness. Now let's look at that for a moment. What is lawlessness? We've already noted that it's rebellion. But lawlessness is living as though your own ideas is superior to God's ideas. That's lawlessness. Lawlessness says, God may demand this, but I don't prefer it. Lawlessness says, God may promise this, but I don't want it. Lawlessness replaces God's law with my desires. Lawlessness is rebellion against the right of God to make laws and govern His own creation. 
It's the direct and open rebellion against God and His ways. It's anarchy, man. It's chaos. It's, it's recklessness. And so the opposite of this, and that's the point John is making, the opposite of this is to pursue holiness. It's to pursue a life of not living in sin. Because when we sin, we reject God's word. And so John says, those who practice sin are practicing lawlessness. You are creating a lifestyle. And you prefer this lifestyle. Therefore, John comes to verse 5. Let's read it together real quick. He says, and you know that he appeared in order to take away sins. And in him there is no sin. Well, that's the only way he could take away sin, is to be without sin. So Christ came, here's the comfort, to deliver from sin. To deliver from the damnation of sin. I mean, think about it real quick. <clears throat> Don't close your eyes, you might fall asleep. Think about it real quick. Go back to John's Gospel. Go back to Mark's Gospel. Go back to the Gospels. It begins with John the Baptist crying or, or heralding a message at the Jordan River. What does he say? He is shouting at the top of his lungs, Here is the Lamb of God. Is that it? No, no, no. My dear friends, he says, Behold, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's the good news. That's something to get excited about. My dear friends, lift your droopy hands. There is good news. John the Baptist said, and he first said, here is the one who takes away our sin. Now how did Christ do this? How did Christ do this? little Easter message for us all this morning. He delivers us from sin. How? By a bloody death. A gruesome death on the cross. A cursed death. And in this, He provides the way for everlasting forgiveness. That's how He makes the way for our sin to be forgiven. And John makes sure we know this. He says, and he could only do this because he himself is without sin. Implication? He is perfectly righteous. In him is no flaw. Not a single flaw. Listen. Christ had no flaw before God. Nothing. Hence, He is the perfect sacrificial Lamb. And so John, the Apostle John, himself teaches us that Christ is the righteous one. Christ is the pure one. And now he says Christ is the sinless one. And it leaves us with the following implication. Because there's no sin in Jesus... No one who abides in Him can keep on sinning. Because Christ is without sin, 
We cannot keep on sinning. In fact, we can go ahead and say that if someone does continue in a pattern of sin or the practice of sin, John says, such a one hasn't seen him or known him. And this is a reference to personally knowing the Lord as your Savior. It says, you haven't experienced the grace in salvation. I think as we grow in our Christian walk, we tend to forget at that point of salvation, in that first season of, of walking in the Lord, how excited were we to be in this newness? And I think we kind of just grow cold thinking, but yeah, this is now natural. It is natural, but it's still new. It is still new. So, if the sinless Son of God appeared in history to take away sin, how is it possible to abide in Him and sin at the same time? Theologically, the answer is you cannot. You can't be in sin and abide in Him. But I don't want to confuse anyone there. Alright, let me say this real quick. John is not teaching us perfect righteousness. A lot of people misinterpret this to mean that we will get to a state here on the earth where we don't sin anymore. Or I heard it once again the other day, that because of this, we're no longer, we don't sin. Like we can sin, but it doesn't mean anything. We don't sin anymore. No, no. Let me clarify. What did John teach us earlier in this epistle? Chapter 1, verse 8, verse 10. John said, He who says he is without sin is a liar. If you say you are without sin, you are a sinner. John doesn't say, listen, in this life we become sinless. John is saying when you make this life all about sin... You cannot say you are walking in Christ. You cannot say that you abide in righteousness. I said it earlier. We will sin. And sometimes we will willfully sin. But is that the character we are walking in? Is that the attitude we choose? Is that the mindset we desire? John says there's no way that you can. You can't have that. You can't do that. And so in verse 6, real quick. No one who abides in Him keeps on sinning. The verb here is used to help us see what John is saying. John says, because of the new birth, we have a new nature. Christ has taken away our sin. We have a new freedom. And that freedom is that sin no longer dominates our life. Sin no longer enslaves us. Sin is no longer the character and the conduct of our lives. Are you with me? When the world looks at you, when your family looks at you, they need to see that you're different. But if they look at you and, and you look like everyone else, John says, well, perhaps your pattern tells us you are not born of righteousness. That's the red light, okay? 
That's when we need to fall on our knees in repentance. So in other words, because I now abide in Christ, because I now stand in the power and the, the person and, and in the work of the gospel, I may fall into sin, but I will not walk in sin. Are you with me? Does that make sense? I may fall in sin, but I no longer walk in sin. Sin is not my habit. It's not my normal practice. Listen, we no longer live in sin. And I'm sure you can agree with me that we hate sin. We no longer delight in sin. Perhaps you despise sin. I pray that you do. Because this is our union with Christ. He has delivered us from the power of sin. That's the first assurance, the first comfort of Christ's work in deliverance. He has rescued us from sin. Amen? Now secondly, we are also delivered from the works of the devil. Verse 7. Little children. Now this is John once again. I love this, this, this relationship that, that he has with the church. To call upon them as little children. God's children. Let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. And whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So two reasons. This is the second reason why Christ has come. Now to help us better understand this, we could say that the flesh is our internal enemy. Our, our own works, our own righteous works. That's the internal enemy. The external enemy would then be the devil. Yet in Christ we wage a war on two fronts. But because of Christ's deliverance, sin has been defeated as well as the works of Satan. This means Satan is doomed and he knows it. Amen? It's okay, you can amen. He's not here right now. He's not, he's not omnipresent. God is omnipresent. The works of the devil have been taken care of by Christ. And it's not just He, right? It, it's, it's Satan in his rebellion. It is the demons in their rebellion, but not only them, it is the false teachers who deceive the children of God. Again, John makes that note specific. Let no one deceive you. Meaning, once again, don't let false teachers lead you astray. These false teachers who promote the lie that you can be born of God and still practice a lifestyle of sin, or you can be born of God and still not worship Him as your Lord and Savior. Listen, these false teachers are promoting fire insurance. And they have no way of providing. 
When I say fire insurance, I mean fire insurance from the flames of hell. It's a false gospel. It's not the message of Christ. The apostles did not teach us these. In fact, behind the false teachers is the father of lies himself, himself, the devil. There he is, the father of lies, the deceiver, the accuser. And what does he do? He uses deception. Are you with me? Since day one, deception has been one of his master tools. And the purpose of deception is to trap us. Okay? And so John gives us a counter-argument to this deception. He says, the one who does what is right is righteous, just as Christ is righteous. Again, that's the point John made last week. Abide in righteousness. Remain in righteousness. You said, I want the assurance of my salvation. Remain in righteousness. I want to know that God has saved me. Remain in righteousness. That's the counter-argument. Listen, deception is defeated by a life of righteousness. A life that gives tangible and visible evidence that we have been born again through faith in Christ. Paul sums it up again in Galatians. Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit. When we exhibit that fruit... We are giving evidence that we remain in righteousness. Yes? So, a reminder is that doing what is right, that doesn't enable us to be righteous. It proves we are righteous. It doesn't make us righteous. It proves that we are righteous. Christ makes us righteous. Man, I'm going to say it this morning and you're going to get tired of hearing. Christ makes us righteous. And doing righteousness is the evidence of Christ's righteousness. Alright? Good. Now, verse 8 then says, The devil is also a sinner. Amen? The devil is also a sinner. Verse 8 Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning since when? The beginning. Right at the start. Clearest statements in all of God's word. Therefore, God says then this. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Man. That's exciting, isn't it? Now, we need to ask, what are his works? I already said it. He is an accuser. He is a slanderer. And what did he come and do? Kill, steal, and destroy. Yes? He's the adversary. And so, Jesus comes on the scene, verse 5, to take away sin. And now in verse 8, to destroy the works of the devil. It's combat language. Are you with me? I know many of us have never put on the attire and marched into battle, but this is 
combat language. Jesus, so to speak, invaded enemy territory, takes down the enemy in a complete and total victory. It's nothing like a, a, a boxing match. You know, Jesus and Satan aren't going at it every day, every time, swing and a miss and swing and a hit. I remember a play when I was in primary school where they would come, a ministry would come and do a play where, where Jesus is, is literally boxing Satan um, to save you know, the group of people that are there. And he gets knocked out. Satan knocks him out. As if to symbolize that's when Jesus died and apparently went to hell. And then Jesus got up, come back, and he knocked out Satan. No! From the beginning, Satan lost. And he knows it. He knows it. Listen, the very first time he fell, Jesus himself didn't even take care of him didn't need to but the promise we have in God's word is that when he comes back he himself will take care of Satan now when Jesus came in human form was the attack of Satan upon his life you bet you bet that of course it was of course it was listen Jesus and his parents had to leave because of the decree to kill all children or all boys under the age of two. Do you think that was Satan? His plan from the beginning was to not make God's plan work out. So what did he do? Deception. Deception. Genesis 6. There it is. Throughout Scripture we see his attempts to try and overthrow the coming Savior. And then when the Savior comes, what did he try and do? Get rid of him. Now, Jesus, before he starts his ministry, did what? He fasted. In the wilderness or in the desert. For how long? 40 days, right? Right, so we agree. So, was he physically at his weakest? Yes, of course. When did Satan come and tempt him? Throughout that time. Alright? At his weakest, Jesus still overcame Satan. So, it's not a back and forth. It's not snatching out of Satan's hand to save them. Jesus is sovereign. Jesus is superior. That's Colossians 1.15. The preeminence of Christ says that He is superior over all things. And because of that, everything exists through Him. So, by means of Christ's atonement, since penalty has been nullified, that is for the child of God. In this new birth, since power has been neutralized. 
But not only that, the attempted work of Satan cannot and will not take the believer out of his hands. Are you with me? Cannot. See, Christ, therefore now, is my righteousness. Positionally and through experience, He is my righteousness. He is my security. He is my redemption and my sanctification. Friends, this is Galatians 2 verse 19 to 20. It says this, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What's the implication? In doing so, Christ delivers me from sin. Christ delivers me from the works of Satan. Now John's warning is this. Do not be deceived in thinking you can practice sin. It's not a license. So, but God's grace, I mean, He's for me. It's not a license to go about your sin. Instead, it is the opportunity to be before God in righteousness. If you think you can practice sin because of grace, my dear friends, that is a satanic lie. It's a lie from the pit. Jesus delivers. Because of His deliverance, we stand in righteousness. Which brings us to point number three. We are delivered to be children. Literally, we are delivered to be in righteousness. Let's read together our final verses. Verse 9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Listen, we now know what Jesus delivers us from. We also know who Jesus delivers us from. But we have to answer the question, what are we delivered to? John says we are born unto God. We are made God's children. The, theolog the theological language is that we have been converted. We've been changed. That's the act of conversion. And conversion changes everything. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, and all things become new. So Christ not only delivers us from evil, but He delivers us into the hands of the Father. He makes us new. We are regenerated. A lot of key words here. Regeneration is the work of God's grace whereby believers become new 
in Jesus. It's a change of heart. And this change of heart comes by the Holy Spirit. When and how does that happen? When we are convicted of our sin, that very first time, when we're convicted of sin, that's where the Holy Spirit is giving us a new heart. And that's when the sinner says, in repentance toward God, and in faith toward Jesus Christ, Lord, forgive me, I am a sinner, and save me. Yes, have you experienced that? That's conversion. Listen, we don't call upon Jesus and then we change. The Holy Spirit starts working in our hearts. The very faith we have to trust in Jesus, that faith is given to us in order to trust Jesus. Salvation is the complete work of God to which sinners respond. We're just there. Yeah. I want this. I need this. Now, without this new birth, it's impossible for us to live like new people. Sin will always dominate. Satan will always have his way in deception. But because of new birth, the Bible says we cannot make a practice of sinning. We cannot keep on sinning. Why? Because we have been born of God. Listen, will we stumble? Of course. Will we fall? Yes. But we know Him who is greater than He who is in the world. We abide in Him and His righteousness. So when God looks at us, He sees His Son and what His Son has done. And that's where the work of, 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 of our conforming takes place. When we become more and more like Christ, it's through the practice of righteousness. Which brings us to the test in verse 10. And that's our application. Do you do what is right? Do you purposefully do what is right? Because I can tell you, through experience, when we're faced with temptation, when we're faced with trial and circumstance, we have the opportunity to respond in righteous living and do that which honors the Lord. Or we can respond in rebellion and disobey God and disregard His word. So the question is, do you do what is right? Do you love others? Because those who hate sin have been set free from the devil and who are born of God. They are the ones, according to John, who love their brother, who does what is right. That's what Jesus did when He came to the earth. That's what God still does for us. And that's what His children must do. Sadly, if the devil is your spiritual father, then you will live in the practice of sin. You will hate others. 
That's a strong word, man. That's a strong idea. However, Philippians 3 verse 9 says that we are found in Him, Christ. Not having our own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which is from God by faith. Write that down. Philippians 3.9 That's where the child of God stands. When we receive Christ, His death and resurrection sets us free from the penalty, from the power of sin. And this enables us to say yes and no in everyday life. To say no to the desires of the flesh and to say yes to righteousness, faith, love, peace as a child of God. Are you with me? Second Peter 1, what does he say? God has given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. Final note, Desiderius Erasmus once said, by a carpenter, mankind was made. And only by that carpenter can mankind be remade. The carpenter from Nazareth, the Son of God, has remade us in God's children. He has redeemed us by His blood, regenerated by the Spirit, reconciled with the Father, and now we are ready for His service. Your friends, Christ has delivered us to experience a joy of being His child, or God's child, the Father's child. And our blessing is to have been saved and set free from the shackles of sin, from the tyranny of, of Satan. Are you with me? So for us, it means this. Not only do we have the comfort that when God looks at us, He sees Christ. Not only do we have the comfort that when this world passes away, we will be made like Him, we will be in His glory, and we will enjoy perfect peace. Not just those things. But right now, the clutches of sin do not hinder us. That Satan's current rule and power over this world, and when I say world, I refer to the system and not the creation, has nothing on us. Because what Christ has given us is eternal. And what Satan is doing, what sin is doing, especially to the child of God, is passing. It is fleeting. It will end. So my dear friends, we have the assurance of deliverance. Amen? Lord Jesus, we thank you for this good word. This encouragement that as your spirit brings conviction and your spirit brings hope, comfort and peace. Lord, I know that your love for us is perfect. It's been made perfect since the beginning. Not even the moment we trusted, but the moment you chose us. 
And so may this be our great hope, our comfort, in times where we, it just seems as if we continue to fall. In times where it just seems as if we're on a roll in rebellion. Point us to these words and these comforts, these truths that we have already been delivered from sin. That we have been delivered from the tyranny of Satan. But that we are also delivered to be children. Sons of God who stand and await an inheritance and who will be made like you, Christ. So as we long for your return, as we long to be home, may your Spirit help us endure and hold fast the confession of our faith. Our Savior, we pray this in your name. Amen.